Anyone got Bibles or something they could look up? Because if you have, you're going to need to look at Acts chapter 27, verse 21 through to 26. Acts chapter 27, verse 21 through to 26. This morning, I'm looking at this. It will happen. Okay? It will happen. Now, this morning, although it's only for a very select few people, it's only for people that have um, experienced disappointment, relationship breakdown, plans that didn't work out. The rest of you can look at Facebook this morning, okay, because it's obviously got nothing to do with, with you guys. I came across this meme a little while ago, Kate, have you got that for me? That said, um, I think I've done it accurately. And this represents um, how I think the path from where I am to where I want to be goes. And then the next one is how it actually goes. Can anyone relate to that? Anyone know what I'm talking about? Absolutely. Um, we know that despite sometimes our best planning, our best actions, our best intention, sometimes <laughs> getting to where we think we need to be, and we could call this whatever you a call on our life, a dream, a goal, uh, a desire, whatever it was, you know, between here and there, um, oftentimes it is not a straight path. It's, it's a very convoluted, sometimes painful, difficult, frustrating, devastating path that we do. And the temptation for us as we go through this process sometimes when we realise that we're just not on this straight tra trajectory to where we want to be is that we start to think that something has gone wrong. Uh, and more, more, more importantly, sometimes we think that maybe we've done something wrong because if... if if we were doing the right thing, then shouldn't it be easy? Does anyone else fall into that trap as well? You know, I mean, if we're doing the right thing and we're really within the will of God and we're, you know, we're ticking all the boxes and we're doing our best to can, then we should just be able to get there and therefore we define opposition and resistance and, and everything, that, all the difficulties that come along as some sort of sign that maybe not only has something gone wrong, but maybe there's something wrong in me and that God is actually trying to teach me a lesson in all of this. And while sometimes it's true that our choices can take us down little alleys and paths and deliver us to places we never expected to be, um, it would be wrong of us to conclude, just because things get difficult and we get stuck and it gets hard, that, that we're never going to get there. Because again, I want to remind you this morning, and we're going to come across this in this passage we read, no matter what we're up against, when we are genuinely setting our hearts on the things that we believe God has called us to do, and I'm a big believer in this, you know the, that verse in the Bible that says, God will give you to the desires of your heart? You know that verse? Okay, he's not talking about, you know, I want a Lamborghini and if I want it enough, I'm going to get it. It's that God will give you, God will plant desires in your heart as well. And so we need to learn to trust that sense that we have about what it is we want to do. I fear that sometimes we're really suspicious of what we want because we feel, how could that possibly be from God? But if we've set our heart on actually serving God and being there for God and wanting to be used by God... Nine times out of ten, we can trust that, that intuition that we have that has actually come from God, and that is the thing that God is calling us to do. And what I want us to understand is, this morning is, even when that gets really difficult between A and B, um, it will happen if we don't lose heart and we don't give up. Now, the good news in, in this also is that um, it doesn't just happen to mere mortals like us. It's ha it happens to everyone, and it happened to some of the super saints in the Bible. The best example is this one we're going to look at this morning in Acts, the example of Paul. And we're going to start, we're going to look at that passage that I told you, but, but it's actually part of a much broader story that goes back to about Acts 24, 25, all the way through Acts 26. 
And essentially, this is it. Just to put it in context for you, Paul has always had this desire to go to Rome to preach the gospel because Rome is the epicenter of the civilized world, right? So he wants to take the gospel to Rome. He wants to change the world. But he gets arrested when he's in Jerusalem. And through a variety of circumstances, because Paul is also a Roman citizen, he says, I don't want anyone here telling me the whys and wherefores and whether I'm guilty or not. I appeal to Caesar which means he was able to go and stand before Caesar and put his case because he was a Roman citizen. And so he goes to Rome, but instead of going to Rome as a free man to preach the gospel, he goes to Rome as a prisoner. And on his way to Rome, uh, the ship he's on runs into terrible trouble. They run into a hurricane. The ship is almost destroyed. They they drift aimlessly and, and without the ability to direct the ship. For 14 days, they run out of food and then they actually end up being shipwrecked on Malta. So now, rather than being in Rome as a free man preaching the gospel, he's not even in Rome as a prisoner. He's shipwrecked on Malta. And to make matters worse, while they're shipwrecked on Malta and they're building a fire, trying to get themselves all warm and sorted out, a deadly snake bites him. And you think you've got problems, (laughs) right? You think you've had a bad week. So you read that and you go, I don't even know what a bad week looks like because, man, this guy is just going from bad to worse and bad to worse. And it's in the middle of this, while they're still floating around the Adriatic, that Paul decides to say this. And this is the passage we're looking at this morning. It's, um, I can't remember what I said, 27, 21? Yeah, from verse 21. After they had gone a long time without food, Paul stood up and said to them, Men, you should have taken my advice not to sail from Crete, then you would have spared yourself this damage and loss. It's always a good idea to say to a hungry bunch of people, I told you so, isn't it? Especially when you're floating around on the sea. I mean, what could possibly happen? But now I urge you to keep your courage because not one of you will be lost. Only the ship will be destroyed. Last night, an angel of God, uh, of the God to whom I belong and whom I serve stood beside me and he said, do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand trial before Caesar, and God has graciously given you the lives of all who sail with you. So keep up your courage, men, for I have faith in God that it will happen just as he told me. Nevertheless, we must run aground on some island. It will happen. It may not happen the way we thought it would happen. It may not happen in the time that it would, we thought it would happen, but it will happen. When... Um, My eldest daughter, and this is not going to embarrass you, Caitlin, so please don't get nervous. When my oldest daughter was about three years old, Heather and I were sitting at at our dining room table, and I think my parents were there at that stage, and we were having like a cup of tea and talking, and Caitlin, being a child, was crawling under the table and playing. But she forgot where she was, and so, you know, she stood up as quickly as she could, and we just heard this thud, you know, and all the cups and everything rattled, you know, and that was her head hitting the table. So I jumped underneath and these words came out of my mouth. That is a direct consequence of your actions. There's there's parenting 101 for you, hey. That is a direct consequence of your actions. She's three. She's, She's unconscious practically. And I'm telling her there is a cause and effect here and you need to you need to work it out. I love how the Bible tells us that it's while they're floating hopelessly at sea and they're very, very hungry and they have, because they haven't eaten for 14 days, Paul speaks up and says, well, you know, I did tell you this was going to happen. You should have listened to me and then you wouldn't be in this mess. When things don't go the way we hoped or planned or life dishes up us some nasty surprises, it's in, in, 
It's human nature to want to know why, isn't it? There's always, we always want to try and find a reason. But I tell you what, after nearly 30 years of, of pastoral ministry, um, what I've discovered is that, A, nine times out of ten, you, you never really know. You can't really find a reason. And secondly, even if you did, it's very unsatisfactory in terms of helping people navigate what they're, what they're trying to navigate. When we're going through a tough time, we don't need a reason. We need reassurance, don't we? That's what we need. We need reassurance. We don't need a reason. Often the best insights come in retrospect. I mean, we can look back and then maybe we can go, okay, I can see how all that worked out and then maybe that positions us better to be smarter and make better decisions in the future. But it's only ever in retrospect. When you find yourself lost at sea and starving or you bang your head under the table, you don't need a reason. You actually just need some reassurance. And the reassurance that we need to be reminded of time and time again is that God has still got this and God has got you. And that's why I love the songs that we were singing this morning. I mean, it was just like there was this theme coming out, just reminding us again of the goodness and the kindness of God, that even though our circumstances might make us feel all at sea, there is this constant in all of it, and that is this good, kind God who still has control of the situation. He still has control of you. And the thing that you set out to do, you know what? It doesn't look like it right now, but it will happen. That's what's going on in there. See, the temptation for us to think, that just because things have gone pear-shaped, somehow we have slipped beyond the grace and power and control of God. But that is not possible. We haven't. Paul was lost at sea, but he wasn't lost to God. And in the middle of this, he's reminded by an angel from God, you must stand before Caesar. Now, wouldn't it be nice if we all got our own angel? Yeah? I mean, it'd be mildly terrifying, to be honest, especially if it happened at night when you just woke up. But wouldn't it be nice if, if an angel came to us and said, I, I, know, I know this doesn't look good right now, but it's okay. That thing that you were supposed to do, it's still going to happen. Now, maybe we don't get our own angel, but you know what? Maybe we could be angels to one another in that sort of thing, couldn't we? Maybe we could actually just, when someone's really struggling, rather than sit down and go through in forensic detail all the reasons why you think this might be happening and ultimately you never really do, or using it as an object lesson to teach them something, Maybe, maybe the best thing we could do is sidle up alongside one another and go, I know you're not seeing this right now, but let me just remind you of something. This thing that God has, has put in your heart, it's going to get there. God has got you and God has got this. Amen? Amen. All right? God has got you in this. And I, get, I, I don't understand it either. I'm not going to try and guess, but God has got you and God has got this and it will happen. Now, I know what it's like to try and wrap your head around that. And I know what it's like to try and believe that when all the evidence points to exactly the opposite. I'm a horizon scanner, you know, so this metaphor of being lost at sea and floating around helplessly in a boat works for me because I can imagine when you're in an open sea and you're looking around the horizon for, okay, I'm going to get to Rome, how's that going to happen, where's the help coming from, and all you can see is the curvature of the earth, okay, you're starting to think maybe this isn't going to work out. And I'm a horizon scanner. When something happens and I think, no, God's going to do this, I immediately look for some sort of tangible evidence of the way he's going to do that. Does anyone else do that? Like, where's the rescue ship? Because if I can see the rescue ship, even if it's miles away on the horizon, I'm more tempted to believe that, really believe that God has got this, yes? Okay? And I do that all the time in all my circumstances. I immediately scan the horizon and all I see is the curvature of the earth. But it's at those points that I have to come back to it and remember that God has still got this. I can't see it. 
And here's something else I have to remind myself of, and it's been a really recent thing, and it keeps coming up again and again. When I say recent, it's been in the Bible a long time. But it's, become, it's come up as a recent thing for us time and time again. That even if also I can't, I can't see it, I can't even imagine it. And we're reminded again that God does immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. You know, so I have to remember that if my creativity and my capacity for possibility thinking extends only so far beyond that, it, God has to do that. And God is not limited by what I can conceive of, yes? So I don't need to see how it's possible. I don't need to see help on the horizon. I just need to remind myself, he's got this and he's told me that's going to happen. So guess what? It will happen. And sometimes it's really hard to believe that'll happen, particularly, and this is something I fall into all the time, particularly if I've screwed up along the way. Does anyone else know what I'm talking about? Okay? It's almost like I'm getting my just desserts. This isn't going to happen because I've messed up and this is God's way, the universe's way of punishing me in all this. But the truth is, it doesn't matter how it happens. It doesn't matter whether it's the devil. It doesn't matter whether it's dumb choices, ours or other people's. If God wants us to get from point A to point B, we will get to point A or point B. Yeah? That's it. We will get from here to there. It doesn't matter how many dumb choices along the way we make. Now, in that, sometimes we have to say sorry. Sometimes we have to course correct. That's all part of it. But if God wants it to happen, it is going to happen. The ship may get smashed to pieces, but it will happen. And in this story, that's exactly what happened. The ship did get smashed to pieces. But here's what I want us to understand. The end of the ship is not the end of the story, right? The end of the ship is not the end of the story. The ship is not the central character in this story, Paul is, and God lets him know, this ship will be lost, but you yourself will be saved. You yourself will be saved. So often we fall into the trap of confusing the means with the end, the vehicle with the promise, and it could be that, you know, if we think it's about being secure or wealthy or happy or whatever it is, that job is actually going to produce that. And we think that's the thing that's going to get us there. Or maybe, maybe the vehicle we put all our hope and trust and faith is in a relationship. Maybe it's a qualification. Maybe it's a particular type of outcome. We're convinced that that is the thing that is going to get us to where we want to go. It's going to deliver us to our goal. And then, for reasons we don't understand... It comes unstuck, it gets smashed, it ends, it fails, it gets taken away and with it often our hopes and dreams. And again, because we go, how is this ever going to happen? Now the ship that I thought was going to get me there is gone. How is this ever going to happen? Well, the first piece of advice I want you to take on board this morning is to, the, in surviving a shipwreck is not to confuse yourself with the ship. Okay? Don't confuse yourself with the ship. You are the essential piece, not the ship. And yes, it can be really hard and it can be really painful to see a ship go down. I'm not denying that. I'm not saying we just, you know, we just, um, you know, when the horse is dead, we dismount and we get on another one. It's like it's not that simple. I don't want to be that flippant. Sometimes when we lose something, it's incredibly traumatic for us. Ask anyone who's had a failed relationship or been fired or had some, you know, major plan come unstuck. This stuff can be really traumatic. But never confuse yourself with the ship. Don't confuse the promise with the means. Just because this horse is dead doesn't mean there isn't another horse for you to get on. And I'm sorry if that upsets horse lovers. Okay, We come unstuck when we put all our hope in the means rather than the promise itself. God says it will happen. He never actually says how it will happen. If God wants you in Rome, you're going to Rome, ship or no ship. So why do we limit God? Now I'm not saying, again, those things aren't hard to get over. 
I'm not saying those things aren't good and they aren't going to get us there and that we need to mourn their loss. But sometimes things just don't work out. Sometimes they don't work out for bad reasons and sometimes they don't work out because even though we thought it was the solution to what we thought we were going to do, we thought that was the answer, we thought that was the thing, it doesn't mean it was necessarily the best thing. It doesn't mean it was the thing that God had for us to deliver us to where we need to be. And you know what? If you end up clinging to that ship, what's going to happen? You're going to go down with the ship. And that's what happens with some of us sometimes. We're so attached to the means that when it starts to go, we attach ourselves to that because we're hanging on for dear life, but it's going down. It's going to get wrecked. And you're going to go down with it. We need to get off that vehicle because God's got another one coming along. It's another Uber or another taxi coming your way. Okay? What I'm saying is that our hopes and dreams and goals don't end just because that thing did. From time to time, the ship will be lost. And it's, and but, but, and it's a big but, you will be saved. End of story. So Paul's dream of going to Rome isn't working out. Instead of preaching in the heart of the empire, he's now shipwrecked on Malta. Malta was not where he wanted to be. Have you ever found yourself, metaphorically speaking, on Malta? Places you didn't expect to be, places you don't want to be. Do you know what I'm talking about? You find yourself going, I didn't see, I never saw this coming. I never thought I would actually be here. I love this story because if it's not already bad enough, as I said, when Paul ends up on Malta, he gets bitten by a deadly snake. And the Bible says, when you read this story a bit later on, it says that when the people of the island saw that this snake had bitten him, and it didn't just bite him, it actually latched onto him, it said. So it was, it was, it was going in for the kill. All right? They said to themselves, and this guy must be really bad, because the, you know, the shipwreck didn't kill him, the sea didn't kill him, but justice is not going to allow him to live. So it's like he dodged a bullet... But you don't, get to, you don't get to outrun justice. You must be so bad that if, if justice can't kill you with the sea, it'll kill you with a snake. That's the conclusion that they, they drew. And it's so easy for us to think that something is the way it is because of what it looks like. And by that I mean we people are very quick to jump to conclusions about situations and people, aren't we, when we see things not going well. Yeah? Anyone else do that? Good, I just want to make sure you're being honest. <laughs> yeah, we do. Oh man, they must have really messed up. They must be really bad, you know? And that's fine when we do it. It's not so fun when it's directed at us, is it? Okay? People start drawing all sorts of conclusions about us. He must be really bad. Look what's happened to him. I remember when we resigned from our last church. We not only had to walk away from something we'd invested 15 years of our life in, but both of us were unemployed. We had no source of income coming in whatsoever. And one of the people who'd been kind of instrumental in causing a lot of the trouble that led us to ultimately have to leave went to another church and I found out very quickly in the middle of this that not only did they go to another church, they were welcomed with open arms and put on leadership very quickly. So if you were to look at, the, at, at circumstances and situations at face value... You've got two people over here who've just had to walk away from a dream with no money and, no ho and just not knowing what was going to happen. 
and you've got another person that is being affirmed and promoted. What, what conclusion would you draw from just the surface? Yes. And you'd be right. Because no one's perfect, hey? And, and there's no claim here that, oh, we were just misunderstood and misguided. We had our stuff, right? But I remember hearing that news and sitting there, and the, my first thought, and it's pathetic, my first thought was, what are people going th- to think? What are people going to say? They're going to look at us and they're going to think, yeah, there is confirmation that you suck because that's your situation. And here's confirmation that these people that were causing trouble were right because they're getting on with their life and they're being blessed. But it would have been a wrong conclusion to draw because the truth was far more nuanced than that. And again, I'm not saying that we didn't get a bunch of stuff wrong. We did. But it wasn't that cut and dried. And if you think about stories in the Bible, you see this quite a lot. I mean, Joseph ends up rotting in a dungeon. Did he deserve to be there? He was falsely accused. And the person who falsely accused him got on with her life while he sat in a dungeon. He did the right thing and suffered for it. John the Baptist ends up in prison and ultimately beheaded. Why? Because he did the wrong thing? No, because he did the right thing. And I guess the biggest story in that of all, of course, is Jesus, who at the end is stand there and he's falsely accused of absolutely everything. He's lost all his followers. He's beaten and tortured and ultimately executed. By those standards, who do you think is in the right? Appearances can be deceiving, can't they? Circumstances are not necessarily a reflection on what is actually going on. And we have to be aware of that. What do you do, though, when your circumstances have gone pear-shaped, the bottom's fallen out, you're left standing there going, I don't know what's going on, I don't know how all this is going to work out. And then you've got some of Satan's little helpers who are gathered to point the finger and say, you must be bad, you must have screwed up, you wouldn't be in this position if you hadn't done something wrong. What do you do? Well, you can agree with the crowd and lie down and die, right? Can't you? You can go, sure. You can allow that little insecurity or big insecurity that you have in you to, um, to, for that to latch onto that and convince yourself, yep, you know what, I must be in this position because I'm a bad person or I've done dumb things or whatever. God is punishing me or whatever. And you can give up in all of that. Or you can try and defend yourself. Have you ever tried to do that? How does that work for you? Because here's the thing, people that do that, they don't want to know the truth. They just want to point the finger. So it's a waste of your oxygen, right, to try and dissuade people or or try and turn people's minds. Here's the thing, the people that really love you and care for you will always believe the best about you no matter what, yeah? Even if it's saying to you, yeah, you made some really dumb choices in that and there are some consequences for that, but it's still not... It doesn't, you're not being punished for this. You know, the people that love you will tell you the truth and they will love you no matter what. The people that want to stand there and go, ha, oh, you're getting your comeuppance, they're not people that love you. They're not people that are trying to reassure you. They're not people that are trying to help you. So why would you waste your time and energy? It's exhausting trying to get them to, to see things another way. Or you can do what Paul did, and I love this. Because as you read that story, think of this: there's a snake, a deadly snake latched onto him. You know what the Bible says? 
You know what Paul did? Besides shriek like a girl. And... <laughs> now, you know what he did? It says, he shook it off. <laughs> and I thought, there's power in that. You know? There, there really is. <laughs> what was that? Yes, the theologian Taylor Swift. Uh, you know, haters gonna hate, and uh, why did you do that? Like now, that's just lodged in my. Now, all I can hear is that song going off in my head. I'll just shake that off. Um, This isn't, look, I'm not being flippant about your circumstances or the pain or, or, or whatever. You can't, you can't just shake off tragedy and loss and, and whatever. What I'm talking about is when people want to point the finger and go, there must be something wrong with you. Um, you can shake that off. You can. You don't have to let it get to you. You don't have to fight it. You just need to treat it with the contempt that it deserves and go, I'm not having that. Because that's not the voice of God, is it? You know, that is not the voice of God. God doesn't condemn, does he? We seem really uncertain this morning. I'm just... It's, so, so it sounds like you think that God does condemn. Well, he doesn't. You know, God's voice doesn't come to you in condemnation. It, it comes in love and kindness because it's the kindness of God that leads to repentance. That's what the Bible says. So God comes to us in ways that get to our heart, not batter us down. Okay, they lead us to life. Okay? They don't leave us feeling helpless and feel like we're being punished because we deserve it. But I just love that. He just shook it off. Not only did he shake off the snake, he shook off the accusation as well. And then, and this is the bit that I just love, okay, because I think this, you know, he didn't die. The best way to let people know that they've got the wrong end of the stick is not die. How's that? And I mean, I'm talking metaphorically, and maybe even literally, if you can pull that off. But, but, but don't die. Because that's what they want their words to accomplish. They want you to die. So shake it off and live. And then what happened, the narrative went like this. First they think he's this evil murderer that justice is trying to kill, and then he doesn't die, so they go, oh, actually, he's a god. And that's what we want, isn't it? Okay? That's where we're going with this. It's like, yeah, they didn't kill me. I'm a god. <laughs> now you're going to die. No. Um, it's almost like the best revenge is success. Except we don't do revenge because we're Christians. <laughs> but if we weren't, you know what I'm talking <laughs> You know what I'm talking about, don't you? <laughs> if we weren't, we would go, no. But, but I think there's an currency in that because what I think it is, it's like, I love, there's a passage in 1 Peter and it talks about Jesus and it says, when he was accused and maligned, he did not open his mouth. He came back from the dead. Boom. Okay, you know what I mean? It's like, we could have this argument. I think I'll just do the resurrection thing. Okay? The best way for people to see that they are wrong about that. And they're not just wrong about you, they're wrong about the way God works. They're misrepresenting God in that as well. It's, it's not to curl up and die, it's not to argue with them, 
It's to live and to walk into that thing that God has for you. And then they need to deal with whatever it is in them that might resent that or not want to acknowledge that or whatever it happens to be. But by not dying and by walking into that thing that God has for us and fulfilling that call that he has in our life, that, that says something, yes? And we don't need to open our mouth. We don't need to defend ourselves. We don't need to waste our time. Okay? Don't do revenge. <laughs> I guess what I'm saying in this this morning is it's, it is hard. It is difficult. It is confusing. Sometimes it's really discombobulating. But what we all need in this is to both to remind ourselves and to remind one another of the constancy in that which is God, his goodness, his kindness and his love. And to just trust him. And, and, and an expression of trust is by not taking things into our own hands to try and fix them or try and get people to see things another way. It's letting God just work this out in you and then we'll just let everything fall where else it's going to fall. Because people will respond the way they want to. It's not, we're not playing for an audience of 100,000 people. We're playing for an audience of one, aren't we? And, you know, he will, it says, the Bible says, um, you know, cast all your cares on God, humble yourself before God, because in due time, he will lift you up, right? He will lift you up. So I hope that's an encouragement to some of us this morning who feel like I'm not getting where I thought I needed to go. I'm certainly not going the way I thought this would go. It's a struggle. But I want to remind us this morning, both individually and collectively, that if God says it's going to happen, it will happen. Amen? Amen. All right, we're going to take communion now. Um, and there's a great opportunity again for us to just sit quietly, be reminded of that truth. Um, maybe, you need to, maybe you need prayer and you'd like someone just to pray with you. Um, please take that opportunity to do that. All right, and then we'll get the team back up. Thanks.